yeah, I'm coming in through okay, you're coming through okay. We should be good. Yeah. All right, well, it's actually probably a good uh, reminder because I'll probably go listen to it right after this episode. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, all right, you want to give me my countdown and we'll go? Uh, yeah, my countdown to one or just a three. I'll just count down to one so I well, actually give a pause and I'll go from there. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Top 5 Report, the podcast that always says, if life gives you coconuts, ride to Camelot. It's a silly place. My name is my name is Drew. I'll be your host for the evening. Along with me, as always, is my brother, Peter. Here, from the future. I didn't, I didn't expect that to get you laughing. <laughs> I, I didn't know that one beforehand. So. Yeah, all right. Um, all right, well, that said, what's going on, man? How are you? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself? <laughs> well, I don't want to say you sound under the weather, but we're Skyping you in, so if you sound distant, that's why. Um, yeah. Actually, uh, for our listeners, uh, I have a change in my job schedule, so we're actually doing a lot of these podcasts over Skype, so we may sound distant sometimes. We apologize in advance. Um, so, Peter, uh, what are we uh, moving right along? What are we watching? What are we reading? Yeah, I haven't really been watching a lot. The only thing I can think of is uh, the show on Netflix called Daybreak. Are you familiar with this at all? Or um, I feel like I am, or I okay. meant to watch it. <laughs> so like, that sounds really familiar. With, uh, I think there is another uh, vampire movie called Daybreakers, which uh, is a different thing. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I've seen a... that movie, but I feel like I, I feel like this is familiar territory. Yeah, well, it's a uh, it's a Netflix series that's it's a uh, zombie series, and it's uh, based on a graphic novel actually. Um, okay. And it's it's one of those things where I'm enjoying it. Like I haven't finished the series. I think I'm about halfway through, but I'm enjoying it, and I'm enjoying a lot of parts of it. Like the aesthetic is really cool. It it almost reminds me of a uh, Scott Pilgrim sort of thing with the vibe that it's handled in, and it has that sort of. Uh, Scott Pilgrim or Fanboys-esque uh, sort of homages to a bunch of like different sci-fi movies and stuff throughout the whole series, which is really fun. But uh, the only part that I'm kind of struggling with is the fact that it's a... Uh, I'm definitely outside of the demographic for the show. <laughs> like, the show is, like, hardcore aimed at, like, teenagers, but not only that, like, today's teenagers like the show is very very 2019 in the way of just like a lot of the phrases the kids say and the music they pick for the show and stuff and that's the only thing is where like certain things in the show i wonder if it's gonna age well just because of uh so much of the show's vernacular and just choices is just from like right now but like other than that i'm really enjoying it it's just kind of like there's a bit of a disconnect for me just because I'm outside of that demographic, I would say. Oh, so, but okay. otherwise, yeah, it's, it's been a good time so far. It's a weird one where, like, every zombie series has its own rules. And this one, uh, the rules are kind of weird because uh, it's this world where all the adults, like, there's a uh, sort of like atomic, like, I don't want to say atomic bombing, but there's a, uh, the United States gets bombed and, like, overnight all the adults become zombies but then all the kids are kind of left to rule the world. So oh, sure. they kind of break off into their own, like, Lord of the Flies style uh, uh, factions and stuff like that. But uh, what's weird is, like, some of the adults are still sentient, and then 
or the, I guess there's certain ones that are more sentient than others, and there's kind of a weird... I'm not really clear on what the rules are as far as the zombies go yet. So that's kind of just like another part that I'm trying to wait to kind of unpack. But yeah, it's, it's a pretty good time so far, though. Oh, so, right on. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that's about it from my end of things, though. How about you? So uh, my life has been crazy. Uh, actually, for the next two weeks, I'm not going to have a lot of time to consume things. So I'm going to do my best. But what I did watch is the uh, finale to the Crisis on Infinite Earths crossover on the CW. <laughs> oh, nice. I've still been meaning to watch this, but how was it? Um, I'm going to... So, I'm going to issue a spoiler warning. I've, I've mm-hmm. heard so many spoilers for this, by the way, so yeah, you can Here's spoil the thing. Here's me. the thing. I'm going to issue a spoiler warning specifically to talk about one moment and one moment only, and if you have seen the internet at all since the <laughs> Crisis uh, on Infinite Earths aired to today to when this episode drops there's no way you didn't hear about this so we're going to talk about it the how about this the ending of the crisis thing was absolutely fantastic they really put it together really really well and i was really happy and pleased but yeah we have to talk about this one thing and this is where the spoiler warning is as right now so skip ahead if you need to in the first three episodes they did a lot of crossovers with older um DC stuff like Batman 89 and you had an Earth for this and an Earth for that and they kind of had everything mixed together basically showing that everything counted and I thought where they had ended the story in the final third in the third episode before the Christmas break I was expecting all those um, crossover things were only in that first chunk and then the rest would be with what's really going on in the CW shows and I thought it was going to stay like that Here's the, so I'm, I'll save the big moment for a minute, but they, they referenced the Swamp Thing show. Big reference to Doom Patrol. Big, like, I mean, they did a lot of, like, big reference to, like, Teen Titans. They showed a lot of stuff that we weren't expecting. Big reference to the Stargirl show coming. Um, so it was all there. But the big moment, the big one, and I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Marvel, but DC's got you on this one, and there's only one way you're going to be able to, like, top the DC moment here. (laughs) Um, But The Flash has to go... He's reliving some uh, crossover events from previous crossovers because of an issue with the Speed Force and what's happening. So because the Earths are creating one Earth, basically, all the Earths are being destroyed and you're going to be left with one Earth in the end, um, The Flash was stuck in the Speed Force, and he... Um, was reliving these moments through the previous crossovers from the CW shows, and there was a moment where he landed in Star Labs, and he's talking to Ezra Miller Flash from the Justice League movie. Yeah, this was the moment I heard about. And it was, like, first off, you're just like, oh my god, they actually did this? And then it was more like, everyone stop talking and listen to what they're saying, because... There's a line that Ezra Miller's Flash says, I told Victor this could work. Ooh, and cool. that makes me go, wait a minute, what? <laughs> <laughs> um, which means that conversation has happened in the DCEU, uh, or the DC, however you want to word it, um, the, the DC uh, movies, and uh, they're now like all, all connected. And the fact that they even attempted to pull that off is just astounding. So... I'm going to throw this back at Marvel and say the DC's got you guys. 
And the only way you're going to make do better than that is if you actually do a Spider-Verse crossover live action with the original Spider-Man. Peter, oh, yeah, with awesome. Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield, and Tom Holland all together, and you do an actual live-action Spider-Verse. It's the only way you're going to top that. <laughs> I mean, why, why stop there? Crossover with the animated Spider-Verse characters, too. I, mean, I know. <laughs> why not? <laughs> I know. Do it all. But it's the only way Marvel can top that one moment. And yeah. they did it on television and not big-screen movie stuff. So, I mean, amazing. Um, but, yeah, that's, like I said, if, you have, if you've been near the Internet, there's no way you got that spoiled for you. You could not so, have gotten so that spoiled. I actually have a funny story about this because I did see a lot of pictures of the two Flashes together on Twitter and stuff like that. And I honestly originally thought that um, – I, I thought that it was uh, like a behind-the-scenes thing or it was some promotional shoot, and it wasn't until, like – a week or two later, I found out that it was actually um, the uh, like it was actually both of them in for the crisis event. So I was like, yeah, I was kind of caught off guard, but I was honestly like pretty ignorant of the whole thing at first. Um, but in general, I just love this news. I think the the crossover I think is just something I need to watch as a as a DC fan because there's just so much in it that I'm sure I would enjoy and I would right. love to see all the references and cameos and everything. Um, but I'm also, it's cool that Ezra Miller's in there cause it does show, um, kind of Warner brothers as a whole, I think valuing the newer like DC EU, uh, universe that they have going as well as just, uh, I don't know. It's kind of just kind of cool that, uh, this crisis happened and it's like a point in, comic book movie and show history and it's kind of cool that like the dc eu is validated as part of that history as well as just like everything else that's included in it if that makes sense no it does and my big question with this big flash moment with ezra miller and grant gustin meeting is does that have any recollection to the upcoming flashpoint film that they're doing that's, yeah, that's actually Ex a really interesting question. Especially when he says, I told Victor this could happen. You know what I mean? Like, does yeah. th is that, like, part of it? I, who knows? We're going to find out. Um, Crisis had two other things I wanted to point out, and this is only... Like, you have to really know your comic books, so I don't want, I don't, like, how about this, spoiler territory over, this is not spoiler territory, really. You have to really yeah. know your comic books to understand these next two things I'm going to talk about. Um, the original book, Crisis on Infinite Earths, was written by Marv Wolfman, and it was illustrated by George Perez. Um... I got to go to their panel last year at C2E2 um, and got to see, like, these two greats, like, in their last, basically their last con because George Perez is no longer doing comics because he's losing his eyesight. And um, Marv Wolfman's basically retired, so it was kind of like his last time going out to the public. Um, yeah. So in the final episode of Crisis, um, there's a battle that happens on Perez Square. <laughs> I thought that was kind of like a really cool nod to George Perez. So, like I said, you have to know your comic books to recognize that. I was like, oh, that's awesome. Nice little head nod. But then Marv Wolfman actually had a cameo um, where he approached uh, Supergirl and uh, Flash and asked them for their autograph. That's awesome. <laughs> um, it was just a really nice moment. Um, and like I said, if, if, you've, if you're watching it now and you get to that scene, that's Marv Wolfman. Um, if you didn't... If you're listen, watch the show before. If you watch the show before you listen to this episode, uh, that was Marv Wolfman that you saw there. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, that was it. I was just a cool moment. The Arrowverse honestly has always been like kind of that Perez Square sort of Easter egg. <clears throat> the Arrowverse has always had those cool uh, Easter eggs like all over the place though. Like I remember 
in the first or second season of Arrow seeing uh, Dan DeDio's name on, like, a random computer screen or something. <laughs> and it was a really, like, blink and you miss it. Like, it's al- it almost was one of those things, like, I can't believe they put that in there because it was such a blink and you miss it thing. But it's they've always done a great job with that. And then uh, since we're talking about cameos, my mind's kind of going wild over here and i kind of want to ask a question and i doubt it happened but <laughs> jay and silent bob don't make an appearance in this crossover do they? <laughs> if they did i um if they did i missed it <laughs> that would be so epic though just have that validation like jay and silent bob's in the dc universe marvel what are you gonna do you know? well they are in the marvel universe because stan lee was reading the script from all oh Rats. yeah you're right you're right yeah yeah <laughs> but they didn't like <laughs> physically appear <laughs> true um but yeah no it was just really good um in the since we're on the watching category let's talk about the trailer we just watched and then we'll move, and then we'll hit the news um so the fi- the final season of the clone wars um is gonna hit disney plus real soon i am really excited we're like only a couple weeks out um what do you think of the trailer i thought it was awesome i think um I honestly haven't watched all of the Clone Wars, so, like, I need to catch up. So I think you're probably definitely more excited about this than me, but what I saw in the trailer was pretty badass, and there's, like, I don't want to, I don't know how much we're going to actually say, but one of my absolute favorite characters is, seems to have a huge part in it, which I didn't expect, so it gets me even more excited, and I'm just kind of like, man, I need to binge through the clone wars <laughs> if you don't mind me asking what's your character that you are really excited to see um it's another uh it's a uh, you know darth maul <laughs> oh, oh okay <laughs> I, was put it, I was gonna try to bury the lead but i was like no i'll just say it like, no it's it's okay it right it's okay that you trailer. say that because uh that brings me to the nice little lead um so the uh i've been excited for this first off since they announced it but then i got even more excited when i went to star wars celebration and i went to the clone wars panel where they talked about the season itself so there's some scenes like so i got to watch an actual full sequence from the season when i was at celebration and then some of the images in the trailer um i had already seen and a lot of the trailer was already was very new what I wanted to mention about Darth Maul is that, yeah, he's in this final season of The Clone Wars, but here's the cool thing. So Sam Witwer, who voiced Darth Maul all the way through The Clone Wars, is still voicing Darth Maul, but Ray Park, who played him in Episode 1, they motion-captured Ray Park. Yeah. For They had him come into the studio and they, they motion-captured his movements, so when you see Darth Maul on screen, that's actually Ray Park's acting with Sam Witwer's voice. Yeah, I heard about this, and I just think it sounds so cool. Like, it's really <clears throat> neat that they've done that. I don't know if they've done... I don't know if they've done anything like this in, like, other animated movies. Like, obviously, they've made mocap animated movies. Like, that's, like, a no-brainer. But I don't know if they've done, like, mixing in mocap characters versus, like, animated animated characters. Like, it'll be kind of really interesting to see. And I'm kind of curious if this is, you know, something that's even happened before. But um, it's awesome that they're bringing Ray Park back in. And it's kind of this, like... You know, they have the best voice of Darth Maul and then just also the best, like, physical performance at the same time. Like, it's such an awesome thing. Yeah, the big thing with the motion capture with Clone Wars is, yeah, they're doing it full character for Darth Maul. But if you look at, I think it was started, like, I think they started doing it on season two 
of Clone Wars to the end is they started motion capturing all the facial expressions of the actors when they were delivering they're recording their lines. Yeah. So all the facial okay. so all the facial expressions on the characters' faces were like motion captured from the actors as they did the recordings in the booths. So that's that's really interesting. I know they were um I know the Clone Wars was uh pretty innovative in the <clears throat> fact that they were I don't know if they were the first, like I think they're the first, but I could be wrong, uh, animated series to use like a video game engine to animate everything. And I always thought that was kind of cool. And they seem to be like, that team just seems to be really innovative with the way they think about, you know, how to make this animated series, which is honestly what you would expect and want from, you know, anybody making a Star Wars property. So, yeah. <laughs> Dude, I'm just really excited for it, and I, and, yeah. and because of Disney Plus, I like fall asleep to Star Wars like every night. It's um, just some oh. other area of Star Wars, so. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, just uh, since we hadn't talked a lot about it too, like I thought the animation in this Clone Wars trailer looked great. Um, like I think in the early seasons of the Clone Wars, there are moments and there's certain characters that look a little bit too blocky i want to say for my taste but i really yeah, yeah. thought the animation looked awesome and like it still has that slightly blocky design but it's also has a real organic feel and like <clears throat> i was pretty impressed with what we saw in that trailer you know yeah absolutely and i'll agree with that um i don't know how much more we want to say about the trailer because otherwise we're just going to get to a point where like hey we just need to see it <laughs> Um, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it starts streaming uh, February twenty first, and it's going to be a weekly release, just like the Mandalorian was. So um, yeah, I can't wait. Awesome. Um, so yeah, let's move on to some news, man. Um, Sounds great. So first off, we'll hit the big one. Watchmen has been canceled. Interesting. Yeah. So HBO. So Damon Lindelof has decided to leave the show. HBO won't pursue a second season of The Watchmen. Um, okay. <laughs> so, the thing is, um, I heard a quote, like, a couple of weeks to a month ago, somewhere around there, that said that, uh, Damon Lindelof was, like, interviewed by some magazine or something, and he said that he felt like the series had done everything they envisioned. Like, they, he kind of felt like they were at the end of the road, like, they kind of did everything they wanted to do. So, hearing that it's canceled, like... I haven't watched The Watchmen yet. I know that it's probably really disappointing to a lot of people, but at the same time, it sounds like their team had the chance to tell the story they wanted to tell, and they're leaving it at that. And, uh, I mean, if our audience has learned anything from, like, shows like Death Note or, like, any, like, series that continues to make or, you know, lengthens the series when the story should have ended maybe at a previous season, like, this might be the best outcome we could have had you know what i mean yeah absolutely and i totally agree with that whole statement my thing with it is that uh i only watched a couple episodes and then i got busy and then i haven't finished and now i'm like do i want to finish like oh i've heard like, i've heard it's amazing okay like, if the I've season heard, like, if, great watch through if the season comes to a close and it actually like closes a loop and that kind of stuff great but if it leaves on a cliffhanger i'm not going to really want to end the end of, you know what i mean so <laughs> yeah that's true yeah um yeah i just thought that was interesting watchman's done I was expecting more out of it. Um, you, we both saw a story right before we started recording. Um, uh, the Witcher anime yeah. series. Um, from what I know, it's an anime movie. It's an anime movie. Okay, because I was like, "Wow, The Witcher's really taken off. We got a season two. We got an anime show now. Like, what is happening?" Um, yeah. Good for The Witcher. 
yeah, I think I mean I think the Witcher's been just doing really, really great. Um and I think like I don't know if this is this is either Netflix like capitalizing on this, like, hey, you know, you know, a Witcher anime movie would be awesome and it's like really in the same vein as like Castlevania and stuff as far as like I imagine what how the movie will look so that's kind of cool too but i also wonder if this is something that because of the video games for the witcher i'm wondering if this is something that was already in the works and netflix kind of bought up when they bought the tv rights to the witcher you think they would potentially do like a um do it in the video game style animation like 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 the final like the final fan like the final fantasy movies that's actually an interesting take. I guess what I was th- likening it to in my mind was, uh, did you see any of the animated movies for Dead Space? Uh, no, I didn't even know they had those. Yeah, so there's like the Dead Space games, which are very, uh, you know, they're 3D graphics and very realistic, but they have one or two or three animated movies that are, you know, straight to DVD but they're very much more in a animated series, like kind of anime-esque style, but it's still like 2D animation. But even though it takes place in that universe, it's a different style of animation, and that's kind of what I was picturing. So I just did, I guess like in my head, I was like, well, maybe the, the Witcher game series already had like an animated movie idea that they were kind of starting to go with, and Netflix kind of just was like, hey, will fund this since we we bought the TV series as well. Um, but I'm, I'm not really sure. I'm just speculating overall. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, there wasn't much about it when I was reading, so I was like, okay, no one knows anything. It's just been announced. Yeah. <laughs> um, all oh, right. I, I did, I did want to say, too, like, I saw the, the studio that's making this uh, Witcher anime movie is the same studio that did Legend of Korra. Uh, oh, okay. And, uh, that show, like, one of the things I can say about it is the animation in it is really amazing. Like, it's really great. So I have high hopes for this one. Awesome. That sounds like a fantastic idea. Um, yeah. So let's cruise along. Um, so Game of Thrones prequel series. Did we talk about the release date for this? I don't remember. It popped up in my news, and I was like, I don't remember discussing this. Did we talk about it? Um, I mean, there's been a couple Game of Thrones prequel stories here and there. I'm not really sure. Well, because the we're because of the uh, the House of the Dragon, that Game of Thrones prequel series. And uh, that's the one that George that George is uh, helping out with. Yeah, it's it's called House of the Dragon. It's based off the novel Fire and Blood, and it's going to be focused on the Targaryen dynasty. Yeah, yeah, we did talk a little bit about this before. Yeah, so it's the premiere date is most likely going to be 2022. 2022 okay yeah, i know it's i mean bit, that's a wild wait it's but... a bit of a wait but they have to do the entire season they have to shoot the entire season before they can air it and game of thrones is such a daunting show to shoot i totally understand so oh, yeah i i can imagine with the budget by like by the end of uh by the end of what we saw in game of thrones the budget was so good and it was really like movie level effects that we were getting and uh i'm just imagining that if hbo is going to do a prequel series they're going to want to continue that so i'm imagining it would be a definitely a daunting task and uh it probably will take a long time to make is basically what i'm saying so yeah um, um yeah i don't have cool. 
There's not much on that. There's not much on it. It's just the it's just the likely date. So they don't have a like a season either. Like uh, is it's going to be spring, fall, that kind of thing. Yeah, and and that is a ways out, and it'll be interesting to see how, uh, what everybody's reaction will be to it. I know a lot of people are still down about uh, the last season we got of Game of Thrones, and it'll be kind of cool to see, you know, the uh, pop culture enjoyers of our world like how all these people react to this new game of thrones show you know are they gonna embrace it are they you know are there gonna be a lot of naysayers who complain about it the whole time like yeah they're gonna have to wait and see they're gonna complain about it the whole time that's (laughs) that's what the internet does best um (laughs) so uh all right so here's a shout out to interns um and they don't they don't just they don't just tie your shoes and they don't just get you coffee um, <laughs> do you remember when I mentioned that NASA story about NASA discovering a planet with that orbits two stars, so the planet Tatooine yeah. from Star Wars technically exists? So, apparently, it was a 17-year-old, uh, intern, uh, Wolf Cutter, if I'm pronouncing his last name right, discovered the planet, uh, TOI-1338B. Interesting. Yeah, it was, uh... it was a NASA intern that spotted the planet. I just, I wanted to mention that because I'm like, that's awesome, good for that guy. <laughs> It's kind of cool. It's kind of crazy that uh, it makes me wonder what, how, like, what level of responsibility they actually give to their interns. But maybe he just has access to, um, and I don't even know how he discovered it. Well, I don't he know. could be, he could literally be an intern just for satellite monitoring purposes, and happen to like be looking through a telescope and like, hey guys, I think I found something. <laughs> That's the kind of thing I was thinking. Like he was looking, and then like, holy crap! But. I mean, that's cool. That's, like, something that's going to go down in history books and, like, kudos yeah. to the guy. <laughs> well, that's a nice little segue of mine, thinking that a planet from Star Wars is actually real and moving us into the Star Wars stuff that I need to talk about real quick. Um, so, with that being said, uh, Disney has, uh, you know, these Baby Yoda toys that we want really bad? <laughs> and um, yes. Baby Yoda toys, T-shirts, whatever, plushies. Um <laughs> So if if we didn't talk about it, Baby Yoda is being gonna be at uh, they're bringing Baby Yoda to um, Build a Bear, so you're gonna be able to go there and get yourself a Baby Yoda, but that's gonna be officially licensed because Disney is taking down Etsy toys. Uh, they've issued a takedown notices to a number of <laughs> Etsy. Doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> they've, they've issued a takedown notices to a number of Etsy sellers who had listings for unofficial Baby Yoda merchandise. <laughs> So, yeah. um, I just thought it was kind of funny, like, here comes the, here comes the hammer. <laughs> stop, yeah, that's, that's Stop crazy. what you're doing. Yeah, that's crazy. It doesn't <laughs> surprise me at all. I know, um, ever since Disney has bought up Marvel, um, so, I mean, I don't know how familiar everybody is with comic conventions, but at comic conventions, if you go through the artist alley, like the artist section there, there's tons of fan art being sold, and... The majority of it is not licensed. Like, everybody's selling, you know, like, prints they drew of Spider-Man or Batman or whatever superhero or sci-fi character you like. And uh, technically, a lot of that stuff is not legal. And I guess ever since Disney bought Marvel, they've been really cracked. Or I don't know if they've been cracking down on it yet, but it's kind of this looming, um, this, like, sort of looming uh, thing that might happen for you know, artists who sell at cons, like, oh, crap, are we not going to be able to san- sell fan art? And that, I feel like that discussion almost 
began entirely when Disney bought Marvel. <laughs> so just hearing about yeah. this Etsy shop thing, like, it doesn't really surprise me. Well, here's what's different about fan art, is I go up to an artist at Comic-Con and I say, hey, I was wondering, I really like what you're doing, um, I, I really like your, uh, I, you know, would you be your, I, I really like as an artist, but can I have you commission a specific print for me? So they do their take yeah. on a specific character. Where these Etsy stores get in trouble is that they're mass producing. Exactly. So yeah. it's copy after copy after copy where a piece of art is a little bit more uh, realistic. It's more uh, unique. I almost said realistic, but that's not right. Unique is a better way of looking at it because you could draw <laughs> Captain America as an artist, but it's not going to come out the same Captain America every time. Do you know right. what I mean? So that's probably where the fan art is going to be safe the whole time because it's un it's something unique and it's the artist rendition of something. So yeah, well, I I definitely agree <clears throat> with that. I think um you can also like you can also take your drawing and get like a thousand prints of it made and sell them for twenty bucks a piece, and that would be kind of the I mean mass producing level. But I do agree what you're saying because like I imagine if one of my friends approached me and was like, hey draw Captain America for me and I'll give you 50 bucks, like, okay, I'll do that. But, you know, like, anybody would do that. And that's kind of how I see those sort of unique commissions. Like, that's not really that bad, in my opinion. But I agree the mass-producing aspect is kind of out of control sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, all right, since we're on uh, Star Wars because of Baby Yoda... Um, so Taika Waikiki, who uh, directed uh, Thor Ragnarok, um, has been offered a Star Wars film. Interesting. There's no confirmation yet that he's directing a Star Wars film. It just there's an offer on the table for him. Um, I'm down. I don't have anything else to say other than that sounds like a great idea to me. <laughs> <laughs> Is there any, like character or planet or anything you'd want him to focus on if he had a Star Wars film? I think he'd be the perfect guy to tell me about the Biff Band and do a whole... <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. No, I was... no, I have... Honestly, I don't have the foggiest clue where I'd want him to focus on. Uh, the Biff Band was kind of a, like a, just a little shout-out, but, man, to see where he would potentially go, but he's a guy that understands source material. That's the big yeah. thing. And, like, he's the guy that took Thor very seriously. Like, not like the first two Thor movies weren't taken seriously, but he's a guy that wanted to be go, hey, we could do this and do this in a big, bad way that you guys have never touched before. And not that we want someone to break the mold of Star Wars, but he understands how to take source material seriously. So, yeah. I, I would agree. That's really accurate. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm still clamoring for that... Uh... Jabba the Hutt solo movie, so maybe he could do oh, that. Oh, there you but, go. Uh, yeah. That, yeah, you mentioned <laughs> that the yeah. other week. You wanted a, you wanted a Hutt movie. <laughs> exactly. But, uh, no, the Biff Band could be awesome. Um, I'm really excited for uh, the first time they hear their song on the radio, how crazy they go. <laughs> 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 you know, they no, they no longer have to play to, like, these cantinas and crap, and they can tour the galaxy. It's so you're saying awesome. it would be, like, that thing you do with the Biff Band? <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> yeah, all right, cool. Um, all right, so Disney drops the Fox name. Did you hear about this? Yeah, a little bit. All right, so Disney, Disney is officially dropping the Fox name from its acquired studios. 
rebranding them to 20th Century Studios and Searchlight Pictures. So when you see the big uh, spotlights and logo, it'll no longer say 20th Century Fox. It'll just say 20th Century Studios. Interesting. Um, I feel like that lands on the movies more than it does the television side of things. Um, but we won't really know until we see it. I just I knew something like that was going to happen at some point in the process of them owning uh, Fox. Yeah, it makes me curious. I haven't watched any um, Simpsons stuff on uh, Disney Plus yet, but I'm kind of curious if they have Fox logos on uh, there or not. No, it actually just kind of starts. Oh, okay. I watched the, I went back and watched the very first five episodes of the show. Um, yeah. And uh, just because I was like, you know what, I'm going to do a run-through of The Simpsons. And then I watched five episodes, and I went, I'm going to go watch Star Wars. <laughs> I, so, I've tried to get uh, my coworkers to just like watch Simpsons on there twenty four seven. I thought that would be like a really cool thing to have on in the background at work, but nobody took the bait. So <laughs> <laughs> no one took the bait. Um, but to me, like I think uh, just because how I grew up watching the Simpsons and like Simpsons being like so linked to like Fox thirty two in my head, like I really just kind of I feel like if if they had a Fox logo in the Simpsons when you watch it and they took it off, like that might sit weird with me, but I mean, nothing's really sacred at this point. So you might as well not get too upset about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I hear you. I just, we knew that was going to happen. So we'll see what happens. Um, yeah. we'll see how it plays out anyway. Um, I have a feeling if you didn't listen to this episode, you're probably not going to notice. Right. It's just gonna be like, oh, there's the logo. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's it's gonna be really weird when uh, Disney buys our country and they rebrand the White House as you know the castle, the magical castle. <laughs> That's Ooh, gonna be a really weird moment. <laughs> that is interesting. All right, so how about we talk about this? I got only a couple stories left for you. I got, yeah, I got three, one, two, three. Okay, four stories left, and then we'll go into the list. Uh, okay. F- first one. Professor X will not return in the MCU. Okay. Okay. Um, let me re. I guess I, I'm pretty out of the loop on what's going on with Professor X. So. Yeah. So let me rephrase because the headline read Professor X won't return, and that's what caught my attention. So Patrick Stewart, who played Professor X in the original X-Men films, has decided he won't reprise his role as Professor X in the MCU. After long, long conversations with Kevin Feige. Huh. Yeah. So that means they've clearly tried. What's interesting is this quote that Patrick Stewart said, If we had not made Logan, then yes, I would probably be ready to get back in that wheelchair. But Logan changed all of that, is what he said. I mean, mean, that's awesome, because, like, you need to have them. I don't know. I like when people have, like, a character that they play and they actually keep the integrity of that character in mind and just kind of, like, he's like, yeah, my character went out in the perfect way in this movie and we're not going to beat a dead horse and we're going to kind of respect the story that we told and leave it as is, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you have Kevin Feige simply saying he will not return as Professor X, but this does not mean he will not be ab- – <laughs> he- Patrick Stewart will be absent from the MCU. Okay. So I don't know what that means, but I just thought the story was interesting, and I'm like, wow, that's really cool that they've been—they're clearly in talks to get the X-Men stuff figured out. 
Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah, it's all, it's all good news. I'm thinking um, if even though they've made this decision, too, if they ever decide to try to bring Professor X back in, they could always just use the 3D model for the from the end of X-Men Origins <laughs> and bring him into other movies. <laughs> right. I don't know if you remember that or not, the 3D CG Professor X at the end of uh, Wolverine, the X-Men Origins Wolverine movie. The 3D Professor X? Yeah, at the very end of X-Men Origins yeah. Wolverine. Uh, Professor X shows up and he's a 3D model. Like it's not actually Patrick Stewart. It's just a CG version of him, and it looks very weird, like Uncanny Valley through the roof. Like it just doesn't look good. So you know what? I, I don't remember that. Okay. Now I now I gotta go watch the ending. Now I gotta go watch the ending of X Men Origins. <laughs> yeah. Um. All right. Three more stories. One of them is my absolute favorite. Probably of 2020 thus far. I can't wait. I'll, I'm saving it for the end. All right. Okay. So, um, we'll try to get these through these real quick. So have you seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood yet? Yeah, I actually have. Okay. So in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, DiCaprio was a, he's an actor from an old television show called Bounty Law. Yeah. Okay. And that was a fifties Western. So, um, I don't know what, um, <laughs> I don't know what network this is going to be on. But Quentin Tarantino has revealed he will direct a Once Upon a Time in Hollywood spin-off series, Bounty Law, based on the fictional television show within the movie. Okay. Um, if it's going to be Tarantino, that's awesome. <laughs> I mean, this sounds really fun. I'm initially just worried it's going to go the way of his Star Trek movie, which might never happen, it seems like. so. <laughs> There's a chance, but this is Star Trek wasn't his property. That's true. This is his own property that he's developing, so I think it has more okay, of a shot. Fair enough. I think it has <laughs> more. It. <laughs> yeah, I think it has more of a shot. Where you know, so. Um, yeah. All right, two more stories. Um, according to Deadline, J.J. Abrams' Bad Robot, his studio Bad Robot, will be developing projects for both film and television based on Justice League Dark for Warner Media. So it looks like we're possibly getting a Justice League Dark television series and a movie. That's, what do you think uh, about yeah, this? Yeah, that's really neat. Yeah, it's, it's under his new Warner uh, Warner Media deal. So um, it's I'm, cool that that's happening too, because I remember years ago when it was uh, <clears throat> Guillermo del Toro was going to be at the helm of that movie, and uh, we kind of just all thought it got scrapped a long time ago. But it's kind of cool if they do develop a movie for it. Like we're actually going to see this happen. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Now one more story for the night, and then we got to get to the list. This is right. this made me so so happy when I read it. This is my favorite story of 2020 thus far, um, and uh, I, I can't wait to tell you this. Um, what you remember the movie Fanboys, right? Oh yeah. All right. I, I think I mentioned it earlier. All right. <laughs> if if you have ever wanted to get the Snyder cut made. And actually released to the public. This is the this is the rumor that is going to get us there. Discussing movies Twitter feed, and I don't know if they started a rumor or if this is a real thing. They posted it. They tweeted out rumor. Adam Goldberg may be developing a sequel to 2009's Fanboys. The sequel would follow the gang as they attempt to steal the forbidden Snyder cut of the Justice oh. League. That is so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> That's so perfect. Not only is that perfect, but 
Adam Goldberg must not have been saying it because Adam Goldberg retweeted it and said, if Ernie Klein is up for it, I sure am. And then, That's so cool. and then following the thread was like all these producers and cast members saying, I'm in, I'm in, sign me up, sign me up. Like everyone was responding. <laughs> yeah. So oh, that's, that's so great. Um, so oh, I don't even know where to start. Cause I remember <laughs> a long time ago that the idea, the concept for a fanboy sequel, if it ever was made, would be the group trying to sneak on onto the set of attack of the clones. Oh, I was uh, thinking them sneaking onto the set. I was thinking them sneaking onto the set of Force Awakens. Because of the because of the time jump. Yeah, but I think that's the thing is like uh, the first fanboys was like the late '90s, and so I think it was just gonna like kind of be another retro film, even though it's kind of weird to say like the early 2000s is retro, at least for me, even though it was 20 years ago, but, um, I'll agree. Yeah. I was just thinking with the force awakens hype that that's where we were going to go because force awakens was kind of ramping up like phantom yeah. menace in terms of hype. Um, but, but the th- Snyder cut, that's <laughs> such a cool, like, because like the first fanboys, they're trying to sneak out, you know, into Lucas, uh, or Skywalker ranch to, watch you know steal a copy of the phantom menace but like the snyder cut has become this weird legendary like holy grail of a quest that it's just like does it even exist and if so like i don't know i think it's just a perfect concept for this movie like it'd be so epic and there'd be so many good jokes and like i can see like certain characters of the cast like don't even like the snyder movies and different ones do and it just seems like such a relevant but hilarious idea. I, I know, and with the uh, and with all the DC versus Marvel stuff, and like it's it's no different than the Mar- than the Star Wars versus Star Trek stuff. Like it's yeah. too perfect of an idea. So, uh, Adam Gold- Adam Goldberg, I know you're missed listening. Get Ernie Klein on this and get going. <laughs> and it's it's really cool how much uh, like how how like superhero movies like for the last ten years have been so much like the big major like force and fandom so to speak and like how that you know star wars is still up there too but i just think like it's kind of a cool way to like the first movie is based is about you know star wars fandom second movie is about superhero fandom the the third one might be something that we don't even see coming yet you know yeah exactly yeah i just i can't i can't wait (laughs) like make the make this a thing (laughs) yeah that's that's so awesome all right. Well, uh, that's it for the news. We've cleared off the news desk. Are you ready to talk some uh, talk the list tonight? Absolutely. All right. Fantastic. Uh, it's time for the list. So Ryan, uh, you know what to do, man. And now for the top five. All right. Um, all right. Here we are, Pete. Uh, this was my list pick for the evening. Um, and I found this a lot harder than I thought, like, I thought this would be a really cool idea and then I found it difficult. Okay. Um, so I do have two honorable mentions and I think they're going to shock you. Um, but I can't wait to talk to you about my last one and I have a feeling that you and I are not even going to remotely match. So this could be a really good conversation. Interesting. Uh, Yeah. I'm not really sure. I think I've got some weird honorable mentions too, though. (laughs) So, okay. So, uh, why don't you go first since it was my pick and then we'll go from there. Okay, cool. So this is my first one, and it's probably the weirdest one because uh, this character isn't uh, super 
or I, I guess this actor isn't super well known for being a great actor, but I picked uh, Michael Sarah playing Scott Pilgrim, and I think it's just kind of this sort of like almost typecasting thing where it's Michael Sarah playing kind of like this role that he's born to play, and I love that movie, I love that story, I love the comic, and I think it's just kind of this. When I watched Scott Pilgrim, I think I just related to that character so much. So that's kind of why this one sits up there for me. Oh, yeah. No, that that's actually kind of a cool one because that's Michael Sarah, And I'm no offense to Michael Sarah, but I'm not a big fan of him. But yeah. that's probably like my favorite role of his. Yeah, I, absolutely. I mean, I, I liked uh, Super Bad as well, but I think... I think Scott Pilgrim, he's kind of like his own character, you know, like his character in Superbad, if you throw him in another situation without Jonah Hill or uh, McLovin, you know, he doesn't stand out that much where this is kind of like was his time to shine. So, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, my first honorable mention is Johnny Depp as Jack Sparrow. <laughs> OK, this uh, made my short list. Um, so I, I, I have to massively applaud this performance um, because it really took you there and it really like made you like, that's not Johnny Depp, that's Jack Sparrow. You know what I mean? Like, and it's hard to like, yeah, that's a good point. But my problem is, is that in terms of Johnny Depp being a character actor and playing these fictional roles, so many of his roles now I feel are starting to blend a little bit and you're starting yeah. to see too much Johnny Depp in the roles he's playing. So it's not it's you're not watching Jack Sparrow anymore. You're watching Johnny Depp. But that yeah. first performance in Curse of the Black Pearl was mind blowing. And there's so many like tiny little things he did that it's just I can't not praise the actor. Absolutely. So. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. I think uh, I loved his performance. Um, like I said, this made my short list and it was actually the first uh, actor and character I thought of when you pitched this list to me. So. <laughs> Oh, okay. It just it just didn't make my final list, but you know it's definitely up there. So. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, you're oh, up. I guess that would move into my mm -hmm. next one, right? <laughs> okay, so my next one is uh, I picked Bruce Campbell playing Ash Williams in the Evil Dead trilogy, um, and this is one where you watch the first Evil Dead and Ash kind of or Bruce Campbell gives this more believable like kind of. Uh, you know, like he's a normal guy who gets in this crazy situation where he's stranded at this cabin fighting demons and stuff. But uh, the first one, he kind of has a more serious take. And I like that one because I think he did a good job of making it relatable. But then from, you know, the second and third movies, like how ridiculous it becomes and how over, over the top his character is. Like, I really love that, too. So I do love the serious take. And I love the cartoony, comedic take as well. So this one just had to make my list somewhere. Nice. All right. Um, and then my final honorable mention, and this might shock you, is Joaquin Phoenix, Arthur Fleck, Joker. Okay, nice. Now, yeah, I mean, this is definitely... This is one that you can't deny his performance. <laughs> I think for me, um, it sits in a place where I've just, I like just saw the Joker movie, so it hasn't had enough time to... And that, sort of resonate with me yet, but that point you just made is the reason he's not on my top on my five list. Yeah. Um. He needs like he, look, that performance is unbelievably amazing. The problem is I've only gotten like one viewing of the movie. 
um, I haven't had a chance to watch it a second time, and I haven't really had a chance to live with it as much. So, as as so much, he deserves the Oscar this year more than any performance I think in the history of film. But um, I just I haven't sat with it long enough. So yeah, and I think um, uh, I lost my train of thought totally. But yeah, I totally agree with what you're saying. So yeah, no, it's fine. That's just it's not. We don't need to go long on the honorable mentions. I just in yeah, the shocking category. Why isn't that higher? It's too. It's still just too fresh. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right, so who's your first actual pick for the evening? So my first actual pick, I picked um, Edward Norton as the narrator in Fight Club. Um, oh. So this is Fight Club I really enjoyed as a movie. I this really is, liked the so, book, too. You're going to laugh at my pick, but we didn't match, but you're going to laugh, so go ahead. Okay, fair enough. So the reason I picked this, and this is like kind of uh, – I feel like I can't talk about it without spoiling it. So, spoiler warning for Fight Club. Uh, you haven't Edward seen Norton. Fight Club by now. <laughs> I mean, there's people who haven't yet. I know. <laughs> um, but Edward Norton um, and Tyler Durden from the movie are the same person. It's revealed later on that they, it's kind of a schizophrenic sort of phenomena that he was having, and uh, where like Tyler Durden <laughs> is almost like his dream character like this is the character that he wants to be but he's actually like edward norton is like the character he actually is and i'm using the actor's name because they never say his actual name in the movie or the book he's just known as the narrator or different uh aliases that he takes on um anyways the reason i picked this one is besides really enjoying the source material and the movie uh i just think edward norton did such a good job of displaying kind of the dichotomy of his character like there's so like if you watch the movie and then you rewatch it <laughs> sorry excuse me <laughs> so if you rewatch the movie you notice so many little uh kind of just really subtle acting choices and stuff that and just kind of like his demeanor the whole time kind of gives this sort of uneasy like hinting that like there's more to it that that you don't know and like that he's actually also Tyler Durden the whole time and I just think he did a really good job of portraying that so yeah yeah no I, I everything you said yeah um <laughs> let's um let's blow up him in it as an actor a little bit more my first pick is Edward Norton okay cool but um it's when he played Aaron slash Roy in the movie Primal Fear okay I've actually never seen this movie <laughs> um so. you should it's astounding <clears throat> Um, it's basically about a guy, so Aaron, so Edward Norton plays this guy, Aaron, who, um, is sexually abused, and he murders, he murders the, or how about this, the person who sexually abuses him gets murdered, and he is the suspect in the murder. Okay. Prime suspect. So the movie goes into a, basically a court case, uh, Richard Year is his attorney, uh, Laura Linney is the, uh, prosecuting attorney. And uh, in terms of the mystery and trying to find out what all happened, you find out that Edward Norton has an alternate personality and he calls himself Roy. And, oh, man. <laughs> and, but here's the thing. The acting between the two personalities, it's not, like, it's not like Fight Club where Edward Norton is this one character and then Brad Pitt is technically the other half of him. This is yeah. one where Edward Norton has to play both characters on screen at all time. Okay. And when he and I'm going to I'm going to spoil the ending of the movie because there's a turn that happens. It's not a twist. It's a turn. They get him off on the count of insanity. And then you find out the secret. 
and okay. it's just mind blowing. It's mind blowing. But his performance is astounding in a way that like most actors dream about achieving. And this was years before Fight Club. So this sounds cool. Like, yeah, this is one of those movies that when it came out, I was just probably way too young to you, watch it. You were but, way too young when this movie came yeah. out, but and it's, but I'm like, it makes me really curious. Like, it sounds like a, it sounds like something I'd like, so I want to yeah, check it out. Yeah, yeah, Primal Fear, really, really good. It's a start. It's a, it's a amazing cast. Like I said, Richard Gere, Edward Norton, Laura Linney. Those are the big three names. Um, but Edward Norton's performance is unbelievable and it was actually the first movie that caught my attention to laura linney and it made me kind of look up other stuff she's done too because she was really good in the movie so nice yeah so what do you got for your next one okay so my next one i picked uh mandy patinkin as uh anigo montoya in the princess bride right um this is one where this is one of my favorite characters like of all like of all the movies i've seen one of my favorite characters and i think just i think if you compare like Wesley to Inigo Montoya in this movie, I think isn't it Inigo? I think maybe what's that? Isn't it Inigo? Well, Inigo and Ego. I mean, <laughs> I, either either way, I feel like with his accent in the movie, it comes across as an ego more. But uh, um, either way, like it, when you compare like him with Wesley, uh, I think it's like as a kid watching this movie, I think I was just so much more drawn into an ego montoya's story because it was you know that tale of revenge as opposed to the tale of romantic love that wesley had and i think because of that and just like his portrayal and how like his conviction to what he his end goal and uh how he kind of just brings you into that i just like always loved that performance it's kind of a little bit like the movie's over the top and i love the movie but it's probably over the top that maybe some of the subtle artsy picks will have but this is just one of my favorite you know favorite portrayals of acting so it definitely had to make my list so yeah yeah right on no he's it's my favorite scene with him is he's got these really he's got he's got two really really touching moments that i absolutely love uh Mm -hmm. the first being when he fights wesley um and he's telling the story about his father and he pulls the sword um, and he shows him the sword, and he's like, you know, it was my father's sword, and eventually, and he tells the sad story about the man, the six-fingered man. Um, it's yeah. just a really nice, touching moment, but the camera work in that shot's really nice, the music's really nice. The like, music's it, amazing. The music in, in that too. scene is really great when he's just telling the story, and you're just you're just there, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, the next the next scene I have to point out is when he finally gets to face the six-fingered man and um, have his have his battle. Um mm-hmm. And that's that's where you really see the acting shine from one extreme to the other. So absolutely, yeah, that's actually a really good uh, spot to point out for sure. Yeah, it just really showed his range. So, mm-hmm. all right, my go. Yes. All right. So my next one's Denzel Washington, and I know some people are like, "Oh, well, he's a great actor. Why would you not have him on your list?" <laughs> well, he's won an Oscar for Training Day, and he's been nominated for other movies, and he's a great actor in a general sense. But I'm specifically pointing out um, the movie Deja Vu, where he played a character, Doug Carlin. Have you seen this movie? No, I feel like you've mentioned it on okay. the podcast, and I still haven't seen it. I remember it sounded really cool, but Essenti- yeah, go on. Essentially, this movie becomes time travel, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but you don't know that right away. And um, it takes probably, you got to go like halfway through the movie before you realize you're dealing with time travel. So <sighs> I, that's technically a twist, but not really. If I mean, you're, I think you have to, I think it spoils it on the back, on the description anyway. Um, yeah. 
but so Denzel Washington plays uh he's an ATF um agent um and he there was a ferry that exploded and he was added he was added to the you know investigation team and he's investigating some stuff and he discovers something on the opposite side of the river from the explosion and he's like this shouldn't be here it should be there so he starts looking into it and he gets approached by Val Kilmer who plays an FBI agent and Val Kilmer's like Hey, you spotted this thing. Clearly, you have a unique eye. Would you be willing to help us look at some video footage? And while they're looking at video footage, he, Denzel starts noticing some irregularities with the video footage. And it turns out they're watching a video from four days prior. But the way they're rendering everything is they actually built a time machine that um, transmits the imagery across. So they can... They have to, if they know what they're looking for, they can solve the crime backwards. Okay. Um, it's a really, like, amazing piece because eventually they attempt to try and uh, send a piece of information across to get Denzel's character in the past to get the message so he can try and stop something in the future. Like, <laughs> um, yeah. that's where the time travel stuff gets tricky. But the thing about his performance in this is it felt real in a way that none of his other characters to me have. Interesting. Does that okay. does that make sense? Like he's yeah, a great no, actor, I but I just I felt like you're just there with him in a like I everything about and it may have just been the excitement of the story they're being told or I was wrapped up that heavily into the mystery, but the like he is just it's just this level of acting that you you must appreciate when you want like just facial expressions and like little twerks he's like added to the character like and it's not like he's a it's not like he's playing a character that. You know, like Jack Sparrow, like we've known for years, or he's playing, um, or he's playing like the Joker, like Joaquin Phoenix, which is something that has tons of source material. This is something where he took from a page, created this different person that no one's ever met before, and created a character that's not himself. Yeah. You know, and that's where these act, that's where like I'm just get really blown away by some of these acting performances. You can go and play, uh, you can go and play a, fi uh, a non-fictional character. You can go and do, like, Michael Fassbender, I mentioned last week, played Steve Jobs. He could study yeah. Steve Jobs' video footage and interviews and all that stuff and create and try and be Steve Jobs. This is a situation where we don't know Doug Carlin from anything, and Denzel Washington showed us who that person is in such <laughs> yeah. a real sense. And that's the whole. that was the whole point of this list when I was thinking about it, so... Mm -hmm. Um, it's kind of funny listening to you say that because I look at my list and it's mostly people who play pre-existing characters, <laughs> but, um, no, I think that's actually really cool. I think knowing you, Drew, I know that, um, there's a lot of Denzel Washington performances that I feel like you, uh, I mean, not like publicly, but just in conversations have mentioned you were like maybe disappointed by, and I'm like wondering if it's like you see deja vu and he gives such a believable like good performance and then you're kind of like disappointed by his the rest of his just because of like you've seen like the greatness he can achieve and then maybe it like sets you up for disappointment a little and, bit and maybe on. that is because sometimes i'm just like oh you're better than that <laughs> i yeah, don't know well, i mean i'm even thinking about like inside man which like we've talked about before on the podcast and i think he did a really good job in that movie um like i've mentioned like i love the sort of uh cat and mouse relationship that he has with uh clive owens character in that movie but i still feel like in that movie he was almost like 
hamming it up a little bit, or there's a something like there's a little bit too much of a bravado to his character. So I can definitely see what you mean, where he like there's something about like that's not always completely believable out of, about his performances, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. They're always yeah. It, I I guess my thing with him is it always feels like there's one scene in every movie that he's going for the Oscar. And I think yeah. that's my dis- I think that's where it is with me. It's like he's this is this is where I got it, but yeah. because this movie was technically a science fiction film, he wasn't like I think he was having fun. Right. So when he created the character, it was like, well, I'm gonna have, I'm just gonna have fun with this. I'm not I don't have anything riding on it. I'm just gonna have some fun and collect a paycheck. But I'm gonna do a good job while I'm doing it. And it just came out in this like amazing way. Um, right. But yeah. All right. I talked a lot on that one. Go ahead. It's all good. Um, so my next um, pick is uh, Bill Skarsgård portraying Pennywise the Clown in uh, the new It movies. So It and It Chapter 2. Um, but this one, I would mostly uh, specifically focus on the first movie. And uh, I know I've talked about this a little bit before, but I just think like his performance as Pennywise the Clown or It or whatever you want to call him because it's not super clearly named when you watch the film um i think he just did such a good job like uh it's to me it's very evident from the very first scene that you encounter him where it's uh you know georgie uh i think it's the main character is bill but his little brother georgie loses his uh paper uh sailboat outside and it falls down the sewer and that first encounter with georgie and uh pennywise is so chilling to me. And I think the way his lines are delivered, it's so like suggestive in like this really creepy way where he says, I I think I've mentioned this before, but the way he delivers the line, my I'm Pennywise, the dancing clown, the way it's said is like gave me chills because it's just so it just evokes this like thought of like, he's neither of these things. He's something way worse that like, we're not even ready yet for. And I just think he just like, I've seen this actor in other things and I think he, he plays a really good creepy guy. Like if you've seen castle rock at all and stuff like that, but I think just this portrayal, he did such a good job of just being a horror character who talks a lot, which usually makes them less scary. And somehow he made that, he made this character more scary. And I just, I loved it. I thought it was really awesome. So yeah, I have, honestly, I haven't watched, uh, I like Bill Skarsgård in general, I just haven't watched the new yeah. movies. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen either one of them yet, so. Yeah, fair yeah. enough. I, I think I was, I had a feeling you hadn't seen them yet, but <laughs> it's all good. Yeah, no, it's all good. Um, Alright, so my next pick, um, and this is actually, this is not a, uh, this is a known character, and that's the Heath Ledger Joker from The Dark Knight. Awesome. Um, yeah. Look, we could go on and on and on about Jokers all night long. There's not a lot to say because he already won his Oscar. It's one of the most, it's one of the most epic performances of that character or just in that uh, genre. Um, but it's it's a performance and it's and it's different from the Joaquin Phoenix Joker specifically because it was a Joker for a different time slash story. Um, it was a different Joker that was needed for a Batman movie where the, uh, the Joaquin Phoenix Joker was needed for a story about society. Um, uh, I know the Dark Knight has a big society like undertone to it, but Heath Ledger Joker was designed for a specific type of story and the other one wasn't. But, uh, 
it just sits with me every time and it's gripping and it's chilling to watch and it's you knew from that opening scene uh of the dark knight that heath ledger was doing something special you know yeah. so yeah i think it's yeah it's one of those <clears throat> ones that like he obviously did such an amazing job and like people have talked about it so much um, but it's kind of, as you're talking about this and kind of just what I was saying about Bill Skarsgård, like this is another one where the way he d- ledger delivered those lines and stuff had this kind of really creepy, sinister suggestiveness to it that I really appreciated as well. You know, that sort of like, uh, I'm going to make this pencil disappear. Like that whole scene, like the way that's delivered, it always gave me the impression, like that's not the only trick he has. Like he can do a lot of like weirdly creepy but you know well, i'm not even i'm not even thinking about i'm not even thinking about that pencil trick scene i'm thinking about the scene uh when he approaches harvey dent in the hospital um because oh, he's... no no i was i wasn't saying that was the, i was like, oh, okay. talking about the same scene you were talking i was just okay. thinking of like moments in the movie i, I enjoyed from one of the it, but... one of the scenes and that i love so there's two scenes that really stand out for me in the in terms of his performance is the uh the, the the hospital scene with um with uh, Harvey Dent and he's talking about you know like I'm just a dog chasing cars I wouldn't know what to do if I got one and uh, he's talking about how and I love the line where he says you know a couple gangbangers uh, kill themselves and no one you know bats an eye but then uh, one cop gets you know murdered and everyone loses their minds um, and you, you, the breakdown of society like where's why the disconnect and you know he's like uh-huh. how evil the world is because we view it in, under a certain prism and it's just interesting to hear it's just interesting to hear those lines but watching him deliver them were so amazing uh, because uh-huh. he was trying to point out how the world really is chaos yeah. Um, so. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with all that. It's funny to hear <clears> that uh, the actual line as opposed to the memes that you see for that, for that part of the movie. So oh, right. Too. Um, the other scene that really stands out for me with Heath Ledger <laughs> is that scene where Batman interrogates him in the uh, interrogation room uh, at the police station. Yeah. Um, it's to first off, that's something as fans we've all wanted because of the book The Killing Joke. Uh, because Batman interrogate talking to the Joker in his cell, um, and then the way that scene went down, and the joke, Joker getting beaten by Batman, and him laughing all the way through it, and like you know, because he knows Batman's not going to kill him, so he's he just he just he's laughing because he's like it doesn't matter what you do, you're not going to you know, it's it's so good, uh, which leads to that great line at the end when he's like, I'm not going to kill you because you're too much fun, and you're not going to kill me because you're too good. Um, <laughs> And that's, you know, what happens when a immovable object meets an unstoppable force. And he says, we're destined to do this together. It's such, and I don't know, maybe I'm praising the writing more than I am his performance. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it goes hand in hand because if you have good acting with bad writing, it doesn't work and vice versa. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. If, he, if he didn't deliver the line so well, like, it's, it wouldn't have worked, you know. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, well, enough about Heath Ledger, because like I said, we could be on that all night. We could do a whole episode if we wanted to. Um, what's your next one? Uh, yeah, so uh, keeping in line with the uh, DC characters, uh, my next one is Christopher Reeve's uh, portrayal as Superman. Um, and this one I really picked because, like, I think he did such a good job of uh, portraying this character in a way that really got, like, everyone, like, the populace, like, 
the whole world kind of behind him as like, this is Superman. This is how super <clears throat> Superman should be. But I also think it's kind of cool to, when you look into the way Christopher Reeve uh, portrayed the sort of like difference between Superman and Clark Kent, like there's some really cool stuff he did in there where like when he was Clark Kent, he would slouch down more. And there was this sort of like physical performance that he brought to the whole thing. And then, you know, lastly, he was just, you know, like my childhood hero, like this one means a lot to me. So it was going to make my list regardless. All right. Yeah, no, yeah. it's it, I. It's funny when you said that. I kind of laughed quietly to myself because I wanted to let you like just gush over this for a minute. <laughs> oh no, it's, it's all good. It's just kind of like, and part of it's too like, my list is kind of like things I connected to or things that like I really like. But like, obviously, like a lot of my picks haven't won Oscars and stuff like that. You know. Right. But, right. Um, well. But yeah, I mean, I don't know if you have anything to say about that or if you want to move on. Or, uh. No, I um I have uh one more um uh yeah, let's how about this? Let's move on to um my next one, uh which is uh Natalie Portman in as uh, playing Nina Sayers in the movie Black Swan. Nice. I actually have not seen Black Swan and I don't know why. Oh, you are <laughs> missing out. Well, actually it's kind I, of a it's not a easy movie to watch. Uh but <laughs> it's uh yeah, it's Darren Aronofsky or whatever. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So I remember when this came out, I thought it looked so awesome, and then I just never got the chance to sit down and watch it, which is really funny. But, uh, yeah, keep going. Um, no, Natalie Portman in this movie, it's unbelievable watching her do this role. And it, this is a movie that kind of breaks down a person, like, on a psychological level. Um, but you really need to understand what you're watching when you watch the movie, because you have, for example, Natalie Portman is playing this ballerina who got the role as the lead in the movie swan lake and because of the subject matter of what the story is about you actually start watching the story of swan lake within the production of swan lake so she starts having it's almost like she's living the role like she gets so method in the role that she starts living it as she's uh, as the production of the show is going on okay so it's kind of like this really meta performance. So she's got to be herself and she's got to like it's she's got to be this herself and this other person and then um yeah, it's it's not easy to explain but it is such it is such a wonderful uh character study on her part and creating something we've never seen. Um and that's ultimately what we want. So Yeah, awesome. Um yeah. That's cool. Um I guess uh I mean, I've got, I'm left with a couple thoughts. One is, like, I actually thought about this movie recently. Like, for some reason, something reminded me of it. I think it was because people were talking, like, I heard people praising uh, Mother and stuff, which is another Aronofsky movie. And uh, I think, <laughs> I remember thinking, like, just from, I haven't seen Mother yet either, but I've heard about it, and it sounds like it's a movie that's going to make my brain hurt. <laughs> and that's kind of, oh, like, I yeah. think part of why I like hadn't hunted down uh, black swan either just because I'm like I feel like it might make my brain hurt even though that is probably really amazing you know um, well mother if you know the secret going into it it won't make your brain hurt but you gotta know the secret okay interesting um, it yeah, yeah, if you knew the secret going into Mother, it's not at all what you would think. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, uh, and it's basically like, 
Uh, how about, let me give you this. The secret going in is that Jennifer Lawrence's character is Mother Earth. So I've heard, I've heard that, but then I've also heard different uh, sort of... Uh, I've, heard, I, I've heard the director says she's Mother Earth, but then I've also heard people say they got something completely different out of it. <laughs> well, so it just seems, it yeah. seems interesting I kinda, in a lot of different ways. I kind of went in with the understanding that she was Mother Earth and the guy who was like her husband is God, and you kind of have to look at it through that existential existential yeah. um, prism, I guess. When you I, I guess I've, I've heard three different things where it is the Mother Earth thing. I've also heard there's like really, um, there's kind of like the subdued like religious sort of like background to the whole thing that has to do with like, I don't know if it's like the tale of Adam and Eve or like what part of the Bible is, but I've, I've heard like that there's this sort of like biblical interpretation of the movie. And then the other one I've heard is that like the movie really comments on like women's rights and stuff like that more than anything. Um, but yeah, I'm just, I, I'm kind of curious. I'm going to watch it at some point because I'm interested. <laughs> I think I've just been like, I don't know. It's like almost this, like, you know, can I handle watching it right now or not sort of right, thing. Right. Um, going back to Black Swan, is there any part of the movie? Because I feel like you talked a lot about the plot. Is there any moments like with Natalie Portman specifically that like you think she really shined as like an actress, or was it just her portrayal as a whole? Or yes, it's the movie Black Swan. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I, I guess you didn't go into like a ton of specifics. So that's no, it's it's asking, the, it's but... literally the whole damn movie. Um, okay, it's fair just enough. unbelievable. So, okay, yeah, cool. like, and I and and her it's it's her performance. The movie, honestly, like, um, and I know people who are like watched it and like I really didn't like it, and I don't, and I wonder if they didn't like it because they didn't understand it or if it's not what they were expecting. But it's 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 a movie that you'll watch and not sure if you're gonna watch again. I think I've seen the movie like five times total. Okay. Um, and it's yeah, I think I've watched the movie about five times. It's really just really good so cool you could do a uh, top five list of your favorite times watching black swan if you wanted i, I probably could yeah <laughs> <laughs> i probably could um what uh all right your last pick of the night okay so my last pick and this is kind of a weird one but i love this performance and that is uh gene wilder as willy wonka in willy wonka and the chocolate factory um and this is one that like it probably kind of kind of sounds funny at first because it's such like a I guess revered as like a kid's property but I just think that Gene Wilder like I think he was like a great actor and just kind of like in his roles that were like either serious or comedic like I really appreciated the guy like my whole life but I think his role here and this was one that I didn't think of right away when I did my list but as I started thinking of it I was reminded of this uh, portrayal and I, it just had to make my list because I love the way that the way he delivers his lines in this movie, there is this weird sort of like, he almost, he almost like delivers the lines humorously and ominously at the same time. Like a lot of them are jokes and quips and stuff, but then there's like this weird ominous undertone where you start to like, you watch the movie as a kid and it's like, oh, haha, this is fun, Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory, whatever. But then when you watch the movie as an adult, I think that's when you kind of get into some of those more, like, hidden bits where it's like, wait, is this guy, like, does he really have the well-being of these kids at mind? And, like, 
why does he <laughs> seem so amused when like some kid gets like injured in some weird unique way and stuff and just like i think the writing the, the movie really plays into it but i just think like the way uh gene wilder like said these lines and kind of almost has like a sarcastic look on his face as he like outsmarts these kids and like keeping in mind that like yeah on the surface the movie seems like this wonderful trip to the chocolate factory but when you really think about it it's pretty messed up that almost all the kids there got injured in very weird ways and it just kind of it's kind of a cool thing with that movie in general i think is just kind of the dark undertones of it um i don't know if you have any thoughts on this one but yeah that's uh that's no, my final this, pick. this is a movie that got so i really liked the original but i never <laughs> thought how bizarre and strange the character of willy wonka was until yeah. uh the johnny depp version came out interesting like how how uh how messed up psychologically that character was until the Johnny Depp version came out. So, um, yeah. And well, I, don't, I mean, I mean, what, what do you mean? Though? I, I mean, the, there's, there seems to be a lot of like undertones of like his psychosis of like this, like really fractured childhood. He had to grow up and be kind of like an outcast, like hermit guy while he made all his candy. And then here he is trying to like impress people but he also doesn't have any social skills so he's incredibly socially inept so you know what i mean like it's just it's this really bizarre thing and i don't know if i really ever understood how strange it was until i saw the uh johnny depp version right um, and i think I and think it makes I like, and it I makes actually, gene wilder's weirder to me yeah but i think i like that because i think so the the Johnny Depp version, I'm actually not a fan of at all. Like, I actually really don't like that movie, even though, uh, from what I hear, it's actually closer to the original book. But there are things I like my, about that movie. Right. And and my argument against, like, the whole, like, how close it is to the book is the fact that, like, Roald Dahl actually wrote the screenplay for the original one. So it's obviously kind of how Roald Dahl wanted it to be portrayed on film as opposed to in prose. But... I liked the original because of the sort of uh, how it's like there is kind of this weird darkness to Willy Wonka, but it's all hidden. Like it's not, it's really suggestive where the Johnny Depp one, I think it was a little too obvious. They made it a little too obvious, I think, right. which uh, to me kind of like made it lost, lose some of its luster and some of the writing in that movie. I'm not a huge fan of as well, but I mean, we can save that conversation for another day. I just, <laughs> Yeah, I just didn't know if you right, had right. any thoughts or cares about that portrayal of the character not, or whatever. Not specifically, sorry. Okay. No, it's, it's fair enough. Yeah. All right, so my last one is going to kind of... Um, my reasoning's great, but it's going to make you laugh. And that is Tom Cavanaugh as Harrison Wells in The Flash. Okay, cool. Um, do you know this at all? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so... Tom Cavanaugh plays Harrison Wells, and in the first season, this is kind of a spoiler, but he plays Harrison Wells, who is actually another character, and then he dies. And you're like, oh, well, Tom Cavanaugh's out, I guess. And then he comes back the final season, and the next season, and you're like, oh, Tom Cavanaugh's back, but because of a multiverse, he's Tom Cavanaugh from another Earth. Yeah. Um, so he gets to play the same character, but completely different. And then, um, and then that character like leaves at the end of the season and you're like, oh, I guess he's not going to be on the show anymore. And then he comes back the next season and he is a French version of Harrison Wells. 
<laughs> and then he comes back and he is a um, hipster version of Harrison Wells. And then he comes back and he is. And then because of the timeline thing, he you see all the, you see these different Harrison Wells from different planets, and he's got to play all of them. <laughs> yeah. Um, or different realities, and he's got to play all of them. Tom Cavanaugh has like probably the best job in the Arrowverse as a whole. Because yeah, he has to, could, and like, for sure. and leading up to the Crisis on Infinite Earths, he had to play like this Indiana Jones version of Harrison Wells, who specifically spelunks through the multiverse. Okay, cool. <laughs> so the thing is with him is, first off, he's a really good actor, but the range he has to show on the show to play all these versions of the same character is just kind of mind blowing to watch. Um, it's really, really cool, and I, 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 it's, I know it's a daunting task to sit down and watch all of the Flash so you can see it, but if you watch that show, watching Her- watching Tom Cavanaugh portray Harrison Wells throughout the seasons and being all these different versions of himself and having to like make all these different character choices every time he becomes a new version, it's really like... It's really kind of something special. Um, and that's the only reason I wanted to save it for the end, because I knew it was kind of like the special thing to discuss, so... Nice. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. I, um, I I didn't know about all those versions. Uh, from what I've seen of The Flash, like, I think his character always has, like, even from the beginning, like, has had, like, this cool, like, well, I guess I'm thinking of the first season and how he played both sides of, like, the coin of, like, putting on a good face, but then also, like, not necessarily being, like, you know, the hero of the story. And I think, like, knowing that he did all those other versions like that just sounds super entertaining but obviously like you said the best character to play and stuff and i'm sure the actor appreciates getting to like have such a variety even though it's the same show yeah uh well uh that brings to the end of the list for the night man uh what are we uh what are we doing next week it's your pick yeah for um next week i thought we would do our our top five favorite tetris pieces Oh, um, well, all right, that's cool. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm like, uh, I'm like no. suddenly making my list right now. Um, <laughs> I'm like halfway that through. Line get, that line, that one line, that single, like the five block line always gets you out of a tight yeah. jam. We're um, probably going to match a lot. Yeah. Um, no, I actually thought it would be kind of, so we did a similar list, but I thought it'd be cool to do our top five favorite just costume designs in general. Oh, because so we were talking about costume kind of design like, last week. Yeah. yeah. Well, because we, we talked about, we did a cosplay one, but that was more like who you would want to portray, and uh, I just thought it'd be kind of fun to do, like, I don't know, for some reason I was thinking about costume designs, and uh, we could keep it pretty inclusive since we, you know, we all like uh, a lot of different movies, video games, comic books, whatever, but I think that uh, this one's kind of cool, too, because I know, Drew, you and I are very superhero-centric a lot of the times, and it'll be kind of cool to see like who we actually pick the superheroes and who you know maybe nobody on your list is superheroes or you just thought like certain designs were really clever and stuff so yeah, yeah I I'm thought gonna, this would be a fun one i'm gonna have to really look at stuff that i've enjoyed watching right and so like it's kind of weird with my lists i always notice that at first it seems so daunting and i'm like i have no idea what my picks are gonna be and then I think about it for a couple days, and then it ends up being, like, almost like so many of my picks are so obvious. It's just like, oh, yeah, of course, these are my favorite costumes. So. Right. But, yeah, right. we'll see how it goes. All right. Well, um, I'm going to uh, – you want to bring it to a close? 
Yeah, sounds great. Sweet. All right. Well, if you guys could do us a favor and check out our uh, website at top5report.com, there you'll find links to all of our social media, um, Twitter and Facebook. And along with that, you'll find a link to our email, top5report at gmail.com. If you'd like to interact with the show, hit us up there. Um, we are on Stitcher, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts. Um, you can subscribe to us, and if you do, you will not miss a single episode. And uh, you can also leave us a review, which we love the five stars, but we understand criticism because it makes us get better and it makes the words we say feel important. Um, you can follow me personally on uh, Twitter and Instagram at Drew3927. Peter? Uh, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at NinjaPierre, and that's where I will be revealing the blink-and-you'll-miss-it appearances of Ben Quadraneros and Kiss and Kitster in the new Clone Wars trailer. Yeah, and you know what? I blinked, and I clearly <laughs> missed him. <laughs> um, all right, man. We'll just sit tight. They'll be there. Yeah, right. All right, well, for the Top 5 Report, I'm Drew. I'm Peter. And thanks for listening, everyone. Have a good night. Bye.